Live from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful, sunny California. Thanks for tuning into the Water Zone today. Good afternoon, everybody. I hope everybody's having a great day. I'm Rob Starr. Mr. Mike Barron, who's normally here as the co-host, is off today, but he's probably listening. So hi, Mike. And tonight is our ag show, and uh, we're very excited uh, to have our two special guests who, who come in and do the uh, the ag show from our micro-irrigation group, Miss Inge Bisconer and Mr. Paul McFadden. So welcome, people. How are you today? Hello, Rob. How are you? We're doing great. Thank you. Good. Is it beautiful weather down, down south? It's a little cloudy. They're calling for uh, maybe a few sprinkles uh, late uh, late tonight, early tomorrow morning. So what? we're, uh, we're uh, it's, uh, it's kind of exciting. <laughs> and then we're expecting hundred degree weather next week here in the end of October. How about that? Yeah, that's unbelievable. I, I get a hard time coming from the East Coast and having Christmas when it's eighty eight degrees outside and you know missing the snow and the cold and all that. So. Anyway, that's California. So anyway, I'll turn it over to you guys, so it's all yours. Well, first of all, congratulations. I know that you uh, received an award this last week in Las Vegas, the um, EPA um, Water Sense Excellence Award. So congrats to you and Mike. I know that you were very much involved in that. Well, it's, it's all of us. It's, 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 uh, it's you and Paul and Mike and me and Courtney and, and uh, you know, the small, mighty group, but we're doing good. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you it know, takes a village to uh, get these drops of water flowing downhill. Huh? Absolutely. And, you know, we're getting another award in two weeks for the Irrigation Association for, the, uh, for, the, for this show. So we're very excited about that as, as well. So uh, good, good work on that. Well, um, that's because we have really great guests. And tonight we have a couple more really great guests lined up. And we're going to be talking about, you know, water and agriculture in a particular geography of the state called Kern County, where uh, Bakersfield is. And um, we're really looking forward to it. So I'll uh, um, introduce our first guest, who is Lois Henry. Lois, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Oh, great. Hi, Lois. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, uh, Lois Henry is a uh, former water journalist with the Bakersfield Californian and is now the advocacy director at BizFed Central Valley, which she'll tell us a little more about. So, Lois, let me let, me let the uh, listening audience know a little more about you, and then we'll uh, dive into a little chat about um, uh, your water escapades down there in Kern County. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I guess after about 10 years of management at the Bakersfield Californian, you asked to be allowed to start a twice-weekly column for the paper, and they've been very successful. Your columns have covered a wide array of topics, which have both delighted and irked some readers in equal measure. Um, the columns on her most revisited topic, water, have given readers up and down the state an inside look at how this precious resource is moved, traded, and used on a regular basis. Uh, recently, when you uh, left this position and joined BizFed um, in Bakersfield and were asked how to sum up your long career, you basically said, huh, you know, it's been fun. Uh, I, I'm yeah. sure it has been. Water <laughs> is a... Uh, uh, a fun topic, and you get a lot of opinions, and I'm sure uh, writing about it uh, was a lot of fun. And now in your BizFed um, role, you'll be uh, helping a diverse um, group of business organizations, trade groups, and business people from Bakersfield to Fresno um, uh, 
get together and figure out uh, at the same table um, uh, what they'd like to uh, address and solve as far as issues in, in the area that are affecting the economy. And right. uh, I guess your job will be to research and, and help those folks uh, figure out what to do. So, so Lois, how did you end up becoming a journalist in the first place uh, with a focus on water? And how did you end up with BizFed um, Bakersfield Fresno? Um, well, let's see. Uh, well, I was in college, and <laughs> I liked to write and research. And, um, you know, when you do that, it's sort of like, uh, well, what do you want to do for a living? Be a teacher or, I don't know, be a, a waiter while you write the great American novel? So, <laughs> you know, Yeah, right. <laughs> when, when, you're a, when you're an English major. Anyway, and I was also, I was very interested in poli-sci, so... One of my teachers said, well, why don't you try a little bit of journalism? And I, I think I had 20-some units, and I got a job on the campus newspaper, and I loved it so much that I kind of dropped to the very base minimum, almost nine units, you know, so that I could do nothing but work on the campus newspaper. Oh. So I figured that might be something I would want to try if you could actually make a living out of it. Anyway, so I... um I, I got a job at the uh, Fresno Bee working nights and weekends. Back then, we used to have what's called copy kids. So I was a copy kid. Okay. Um, you, you know, we were, they used to be called copy boys back in the days of, you know, the front page. Um, and, uh, but we, we were enlightened, so we called ourselves copy kids. Very good. Very good. <laughs> right? <Step forward. laughs> not, just not to be sexist. Um, and so I did that and uh, graduated from college, and I started working at the Fresno Bee. They um, they had me in their um, South Valley Bureau for a while, but they didn't want to hire me full-time, and then the Californian came calling and had a full-time job, so that's how I ended up at the Californian. And um, I had always had an interest in writing about water. I started actually in college trying to figure out, you know, sort of these, these, this water puzzle because it was always a big, you know, interesting important topic, but incredibly hard to access. And so I spent my career doing all kinds of stuff, covering aerospace and crime and social services and state government and oil. And I um, never really got to cover water. I, I became an assistant managing editor. I worked my way up from man, uh, uh, metro editor to assistant managing editor. And I started noticing some legal ads um, this was in the 1990s, about, uh, oh, there's extra water for sale. You know, Kern County Water Agency is selling extra water. This agency is selling extra water. And we just been through this drought. And so I was like, what what extra water are they talking about? So I assigned, <laughs> yeah, yeah you know, where is this extra water coming from? They were all crying and saying we had to fallow all this land. And we had fallowed hundreds of thousands of acres here in Kern County. It was a devastating drought. This was before the Monterey Agreement. And um, so I found a, I snatched the um, environmental reporter and she was young and new, and I sent her on this quest to try and find out what this water was. And then she kept coming back with answers, and I kept going, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Go back. Ask him this. Go back. And Anyway, so we ended up breaking the news on the environmental water account. Contra Costa Times likes to say that they broke it, but we actually, if you look at it, we were a couple months ahead of them. Uh-huh. And we broke that story on the environmental water account. Um, I also broke the reporter. She quit. She put in her notice as soon as <laughs> <laughs> she didn't want to do any more water stories. Oh, she was no. She, was, she, went, she left journalism and went into banking. Uh, I don't know. That was a good idea. But anyway, so um, I, I you know, was just obviously incredibly intrigued. And then when I started my column, I started sort of putting my sort of t- 
toe into the water world and, you know, attending meetings. And it was very slow going. You know, it's really hard to learn all this stuff. And frankly, a lot of the folks in water don't make it easy to learn this stuff. They think that they feel like they have a, a, an easier time of life when you're, they're not getting scrutinized by the public. But the public, and here's what I found about the public. I mean, these are these are topics that you might say are fairly arcane and difficult and, you know, boring but important, as some of my bosses used to label my stuff. Um, but the public is very intrigued by this. The public is not fooled. They know that water is our lifeblood, whether it's to sustain farming or to sustain houses. They know it's incredibly important, and they also, but they, they don't have the time, you know, to, to get into it and understand it all. So they, they appreciate it when someone lays stuff out bit by bit. And, you know, in my columns, I tried to be as plain spoken and as simple as possible. And, you know, I would even, you know, write what was happening in this deal, and then I would stop and I'd say, okay, now let's recap. <laughs> so here's what we know so far. Okay, got that part down? Yeah. Now, on to the second part, because it is very complicated. Um, is. And a, a lot of the people in water don't understand, like the, the folks that deal with the state water project, they have no clue how the Kern River is administered. And the people who have the Kern River have no clue how the Central Valley Project, the federal project, is administered. So it's, you know, the, the general public shouldn't feel stupid. They should, you know, they should understand that this is complicated stuff and, you know, it's, it's hard to keep track of. But it is important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's lots of different entities managing the water, and they don't necessarily all talk to one another, and that's the problem that I'm sure that somebody is hopefully trying to solve. But uh, it's a, like you said, no. a big puzzle. I would so, disagree that anyone's trying to yeah. solve it. Believe me. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, this is Paul uh, Lois. I, I was just curious. It seems to me that there's a, a uh, there's a, a certain uh, group of folks working on local issues, and there's more regional issues like the South San Joaquin. Uh, state issues and federal issues, and we've got all these different levels within the the, uh, the uh, conversation uh, going on. It seems like uh, that could be uh, part of our problem right there. Like like you had just mentioned, the state uh, water project folks talking with the Kern uh, River folks. There's a, a big disconnect because they're just at different levels, I guess. Yeah, and you know. The way that water rights work and the way that these different systems were set up, the state water project was set up very differently from the federal CVP, and the CVP has different sections within it, by the way, <laughs> that operate very differently, and they have different rules and regulations, and it's embedded in history, and there's a lawsuit right now going on that I don't want to bore you with, but um, it has to do with the Bryant contractors and the exchange contractors, and it gets very, it gets very tricky, and so... I don't know that there is a way to have a common language for everybody. You just have to know so much history and you have to know so much about the intricacies of all the different deal making. It's it's just a it's just a what do they call it? A Gordian knot. <laughs> and I don't know how you fix that unless you just decide, hey, we're gonna wipe out all rights. We're gonna wipe out all existing rights and systems and just start from the beginning and of course, you know, that would be destruction of property rights, and, and people would probably riot in the streets. So I think we're kind of stuck with this crazy patchwork quilt. So that brings me to the next uh, question I want to uh, throw out there is we've been hearing a lot about Governor Brown's plan for the uh, the water fix and the tunnels. 
a lot of uh, voting uh, within the different groups, the Westland, the uh, Metropolitan, Santa Clara, all uh, taking place even as er uh, late as yesterday and, and some follow-up discussion today. I'd like to get your view and uh, maybe a brief explanation of, of what that is for those uh, listeners who who maybe uh, aren't uh, as up to speed on that, this issue as others, but what, what are your thoughts? Well, let me preface this by saying that, you know, I spent um, a, a lot of years studying the Kern County water system, you know, and mostly focused on the river here. So I'm not an expert by any means on the Delta. It is extremely complex up there. Um, but from talking to the folks down here about the Delta, the, the water tunnels, the California water fix, the tunnels, um, first of all, you have to understand that those are not they were never um, conceptualized to be a, a, like a peripheral canal, you know, the, the, like a, a standard way of routing water around the delta. They're only going to be used if conditions within the delta trigger possible problems, and then, you know, some water can be moved into the tunnels to keep people whole downstream. So it's not, it's not anything that would create, A, more water, or B, more um, water, you know, on a, on a regular basis. They're just supposed to be used, you know, when there's a problem within the delta at the tunnel, or I'm sorry, at the pumps by Tracy, or um, when, say, the king tide comes in and it just becomes too salty closer to the pump, and the, and running the pumps would pull that salty water in closer. So, and then, then you, you, you set into the um, tunnels, as I understand it, from the rivers, from the Sacramento River higher up, so that you, you know, bypass all that all that problem. So it's not it's not an all the time thing. So the folks down here, their big question has been like, okay, we're talking about seventeen billion dollars. I can't remember what Kern County's share would be. Gosh, it's been so long, I think seven percent of that or something. And um what they want to know is like what's the minimum water we can expect? With those tunnels and understanding that they would operate when the Delta was having potential ecological problems, what's the minimum, what's the floor on that water? because then they build their budgets back from that. And the way that the state is looking at it is, well, it's not a set water amount. These are decision trees that will be triggered depending on circumstances within the Delta, and it's like this huge complex matrix of factors that determine how the Delta operates. So the state won't give them a number. So that's why you see in Kern County, the Kern County Water Agency had a 48% positive response to will we help fund the tunnels. That means about half their um, number units decided not to do that because they can't get a floor. They can't get a minimum. So <laughs> you've got Metropolitan Water District, which is all in, and, of course, they're the big dogs. They got all the money. You've got um, Westlands that says they're out, although I kind of think that's a protest vote. And then you've got... Kern County that's half in and Santa Clara that's in and Santa Clara is, you know, much smaller. As you go down from Metropolitan, Westland, Kern County, Santa Clara, you're going down in size in terms of um, users and contract amounts and money that they can contribute. So now all of a sudden you hear that the state is talking about one tunnel. Well, that's actually been an option all along. And the guys here in Kern County have been looking at that saying, well, maybe they'll, maybe they'll just end up doing one tunnel and then, Maybe we can afford that. So that's you have to understand that all these these options have all been discussed for years, going on and on and on. And so 
I think those tunnels will be built. I think I think Westlands will ultimately come in because it's a it's um it's a more sure thing for getting water and Westlands has such shaky rights and shaky system that they they will they will not want Metropolitan Water District to be wagging that dog, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. They will want to have they will want to have some say in this and so will Kern County. And I think Kern County so I think they're gonna build they're going to build some version of those tunnels, and it may not be two tunnels. It may not be as large as it as it has been proposed. And by the way, they also got um, they also got a, a key a key win a couple of months ago when um, the state agreed to allow the contractors to to basically build to be in charge of building the tunnels. So the contractors, which are all you know, these districts, can do it a lot cheaper than the state. There's not going to be as many cost overruns. They're not going to have to hire as many high-dollar you know, employees, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's going to happen. Sorry, that's very long-winded, wasn't it? No, that, <laughs> that was a great perspective on it, and I uh, learned several things from that. Uh, I mean, you know, you can read the news every day and try to watch this blow-by-blow action, but bottom line, as of today, it seems like it's underfunded and or it needs to be smaller. But I, I'm with you. I think ultimately, um, uh, you know, Westlands is going to need the water, and they're not going to want to um, be left out of of a, a major way of getting water during disastrous situations, right? Right. I, I just don't see them saying that's it. I mean, what else? Is, I could see some of the, the Kern County guys that um, opted out, the, the various member units, they've been working really hard to shore up other sources of water outside of our groundwater. They've been shoring up, they've been buying different pieces of property and, you know, trying to wheel and deal on um, different types of river water and come up with different ways to store more water using um, Prop 1 money. So they've been sort of like, you know, they've been squirreling away these little water nets. And so some of them, I think, could stand without being part of the tunnels. And, and remember... You can be a part of it. You can be, still be a state water contractor and not be in on the tunnel. Right, right. You, you're, you're not, you're not, you're sort of, you're, you're off in this sort of gambling land, further into the gambling world than you would be with the tunnels. But you could still, you're still going to be able to get some water out of this, as, out of your contract. So, um, anyway, sorry, I'm just. Yeah, yeah, no, we've got, <laughs> yeah, we've got, yeah, it's a, it's a complicated topic. There's lots to um, learn, and uh, you've studied it for um, quite a while, so it's really interesting to get your perspective. Rob, we have about five minutes left, is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so um, let's jump to another topic. You were once labeled as the enemy of fun because <laughs> of something that you wrote about fireworks, and, and you've also written extensively about the water forfeited from the Kern River and fought to have... Um, Flows return to the city. Tell us a little bit about that in our in our last couple of minutes here. Well, I'm the enemy of fun because I think that um, personal fireworks should be banned. Um, I'm not against professional shows, but the personal fireworks give cover for illegal fireworks. And we have had the illegal fireworks have burned people's houses down regularly here every Fourth of July, and the and the safe and sane personal fireworks have been used illegally. Um, it, you know, in in mountain areas thrown at people. They, they cause fires all the time. It's just, it's out of control. So I think that they should be banned. Yeah. Now, that that doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like fun to have your house burned down. I, I agree with that. Yeah, the, the people whose homes that have burned down, they uh, have t- 
talked to me extensively, and they, they were not laughing. No, they were not laughing at all. <laughs> so anyway, that's why people people got really mad at me about it. But you know what? I, I raised it, and I think the city took some responsible steps, including, by the way, creating. I said, we should have free shows, free professional shows for these people, you know, that want to do this. And they can see real fireworks. And there the city, go. you know, to their credit, um, has had a pre a free professional show with a big picnic and it's a big you know community event and um they've had that for the last four or five years and it's been a great deal so i'm proud of that stand now uh what did you ask me about oh the kern river that is in the hands of the most glacially moving state agency on the planet <laughs> the state water resources control board they get mad every time i say that but um they found that there was um Un, unattached water on the Kern River, and that's the first time since, I think, 1964 that they have found that there's essentially loose water on a river in, in California. And then all of these agencies and organizations made applications for that water, and the city's application is the only one that said, we're going to run it down the riverbed, you know, because we haven't had a river in Kern County, except when we have flood, flood years like we did this year, because it all gets diverted for ag. And, and my contention is, you know, some of that could be run down the river it helps uh, recharge our groundwater basin, which we all rely on for drinking water. And, you know, it's beautiful, and it, and it creates a wonderful environment. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's such a heavily plumbed river. You can run it down through the city, pick it back up at the end, put it in the Cross Valley Canal, zip it back up, because it goes east, west, north, south. I mean, our plumbing is very extensive here. <laughs> and so I've said, yeah, I think we should do this. And, you know, a lot of farmers have fought me on it, and um, it's up to the state. Uh, and the state, well, I mean, we did have that five-year drought, and <laughs> they had to take over a few other things. So I guess I can't blame them too much, but they've been sitting on it for since 2007. Uh, wow. wow, that is a long time. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well <laughs> ho- hopefully uh, that decision comes through and you have a little bit of river fun and uh, and in the city. I used to live in Bakersfield, so I can uh, totally uh, relate. Um, yeah, that riverbed um, is dry most of the time, and it'd probably be nice to have it have it wet, although the uh, upper river is very swift and actually kills a lot of people every year. Oh, yeah. So yeah, this year was, da- was this year was terrible. Um, I'm talking like ankle-deep water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. You know? <laughs> yeah, down in the middle. Just, of just enough for, for kids to get out who don't have a pool to get out and just, you know, splash around in, and it just it changes the face. If you've been to Bakersfield or lived in Bakersfield, yes. when we have a river, it changes the complexion. People get out. They yeah. Yeah. they go out on the bike path. They you know they enjoy life. They you know it's just a different world. Water water is wonderful. Well, Paul's going to wrap up. We've got about one minute. And... So so I just was curious. What are, what are looking back in your career? What is your what is your proudest moment? And what are some, what are some things you'd like to leave our listening audience with? Oh my gosh. Um, I have changed, my stories have changed federal law on a couple of different things. Um, I'm very proud to bring to, um, to have brought to light some injustices in the, um, criminal justice system Hmm. and, um, have helped people, um, you know, get their kids back from CPS, um, when they should not have been taken. There's so many things that being a newspaper reporter, it's a, it's a fabulous career being a journalist. Um, you have the opportunity to do a lot of good. Even just letting people know what's happening at city council meetings, it is just so imperative to our democracy that we have people who ask questions and aren't afraid to write the truth about what's going on. 
But I, I just I can't commend um, journalism enough. And I, you know, whether it's print, TV, radio, web, you know, we need to keep at it. Well, thank you for what you have done and the education that you put forth to people. Uh, keep up the good work. Good luck at BizFed, and I hope you bring the, um, the you know, all, all those entities together to, you know, solve problems just as you've done with um, your journalism career. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Lois. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take a little break. We'll be back to the water zone in a second, so stay tuned and stay thirsty. Our next next guest is also from uh, from Bakersfield. Uh, uh, his name is Mike Pitter. Mike, are you with us? I am. Good evening. Hi, Hi Mike. Welcome. Hi, Hi Ingie, Paul. Let me uh, let me introduce you to our listening audience, and we'll jump right in. We've got uh, our first guest uh, gave us lots of interesting uh, topics uh, uh, to think about, and uh, you're. you're you, I think, are going to provide us with all the answers in addition to what Lois gave us. So we're, we're anxiously oh waiting for that. <laughs> uh, Mike is currently pr- vice president of the Agriculture Division at Rain for Rent, headquartered in Bakersfield, California. Many have seen uh, the, the Rain for Rent logo. It's a, it's a black umbrella with the name uh, Rain for Rent around it uh, throughout uh, California. Um, you, you've um, managed... Uh, the nine-branch operation in the Western United States for the past six years. Prior to that, you managed uh, two of the Rain for Rent locations in Bakersfield and down in uh, Chandler, Arizona, for a period of nine years. He's also worked as a product, or excuse me, project manager for Rodney Padilla Farm, and a territory manager for Golden State Irrigation Services in Bakersfield. Uh, Mike began his career as an engineer at Rain for Rent. He holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Agricultural Engineering from California Polytechnic State University in San Luis Obispo and is a registered mechanical engineer. Mike and his wife, Renee, live in Shafter with their four kids, Julia, Brian, Ashley, and Kyle. He enjoys mountain biking with his kids and is also involved with his wife's small boar goat operation for 4-H and FFA kids. Welcome to the Water Zone, Mike. Hey, thank you very much, Paul. The, uh, before we get into your background, I we would uh, like to know more about the boar goats. It's, I think you're our first guest that uh, has had that as a, as a hobby or an avocation. So if you wouldn't mind taking a couple of minutes and telling us a little bit about boar goats. Well, my wife was the, uh, she was inspired. We actually, before we moved back to Bakersfield, California, she had been looking at, uh, you know, uh, animals. She's always loved animals, and um, she wanted to get back involved. She she was big in FFA when she was in high school and showed horses. Um, and so it just was a natural fit when we came back. You know, we we have some extra land to to raise animals on, and you know the animals are small enough to where she can handle them, and um, it really helps uh, you know the community and helps grow uh, agricultural community kids and um, has a good purpose to it. So you're, you, you're, you and your wife raise the goats and, and sell them to uh, kids who are raising them for 4-H and FFA projects, I take it. That's correct. And, and uh, yeah, it's, she, she understands. She's done a lot of learning. She, you know, five years ago, 
You know, we didn't have a goat, and we have close to 30 of them now. So, <laughs> wow. Uh, that's a herd. <laughs> As they say in the business, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Paul. Uh, what, what were you going to say? <laughs> <laughs> Rob's just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, uh, enough silliness. Oh, boy. Mike, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your background and uh, where, where you grew up and, and how you ended up in the uh, irrigation business, please. Yeah, I um, yeah, I grew up in agriculture. My dad was a an ag teacher in in a small uh, small high school up in uh, Northern California near Chico area. Most people know where Chico is. Um, and you know, I went through the 4-H and FFA programs, and he raised beef cattle also. So he, you know, in a small school, we had 250 kids in our high school we got to learn how to weld and learned about animals and did you know shop projects and you know and so I just you know it's part of my roots and part of my family upbringing and um when I got over I uh when I got into Cal Poly I decided you know that's where I wanted to be and uh got into the agricultural engineering um uh, major. Uh, I really had, I didn't know what I was going to do in the beginning, but I'll tell you, um, just the time I spent at the ITRC, which is the Irrigation Training Research Center, um, I was inspired by Dr. Burt, who's, who's a retired professor there. Um, you know, I just um, really enjoyed it, and I took a few canal classes, and uh, I just enjoyed the being a staying in the agricultural uh you know community and you know it kind of led me down the path of starting work at rain for rent as an irrigation designer but it sounds like you're doing the same thing passing on that love for agriculture to your kids as well your four kids oh absolutely some you know you never know how they're going to end up you know not all the not all you know, my siblings ended up, you know, in agriculture, but uh, three out of the four of us did. You know, and I've, so, I've, I've always felt so lucky to have been also uh, raised as you uh, in a farming background, and I know Paul was too, and I, we're so fortunate because very few people get to experience that today. And if you have the opportunity to pass that, that you know, to that exposure and that love on, I think it's... It's all good, all good for society and and the planet too. So, Mike, tell us about more about Rain for Rent. Uh, what are the company's roots? What does it do? Um, where'd that name come from, and what's its mission? Well, I um, I, I took the liberty of, of kind of doing a little timeline, um, so I'll share that with you. Um, Rain for Rent started uh, when Charles Lake arrived in Bakersfield. In 1934, he began Western Oilfield Supply Company. And during the Depression, in the 30s, they dealt in used pipe and boiler tubing. And uh, on the manufacturing side, Wasco manufactured water well casing and clothesline poles in order to survive, you know, during those hard times. Um, they also handled drill pipe and repair and re-sleeving threaded oil field tube products. Um, in the 40s, 
the oil fields started booming again, and Wasco's uh, attention focused on the agricultural industry that was sweeping California. Um, irrigation pipe made from 30-foot pieces of boiler tubing was the company's first agri- agricultural product, and they, they built hundreds of thousands of these and sold them. In 1948, we, um, Wasco Foundry began to produce its first aluminum couplers. The foundry is actually still in business today. So it's one of the oldest aluminum foundries here in uh, California and possibly the United States. And in 1969, Wasco acquired the aluminum tube mill up in Visalia for manufacturing of um, six- and eight-inch aluminum mainline and gated pipe. Then in the in 1977, Lake uh, received the Irrigation Association's Industry Achievement Award for developing the irrigation equipment rental industry. So it's been a big part of our background. Um, the same year, Lake Company was established to develop wholesale markets for quality of irrigation products. So in the 80s, the company sold its first major drip irrigation system composed of 13 million feet of drip hose, and they started uh, Crown American, an irrigation and equipment manufacturing plant in Eugene, Oregon, they acquired in 1981. Hmm. So, we, you know, the company's been a part of the ag irrigation industry, you know, their entire history. So, yeah, and I think that, that big drip system that you sold in the 80s, I may have been on that farm. <laughs> Yeah, Mike Grumbig, your predecessor, was my salesman, and we were putting in a lot of your uh, rain for rent drip back in those days. Good stuff. You know, and and Mike Mike Grumbig was a pioneer. Um, you know, especially out in that Fresno area, San Joaquin. Um, and I, you know, our our we created a mission years years ago, and it really, um, you know, this statement holds true today. Um, you know, there's no question we all have to make a profit in in uh, in this business. So Rainfront is a profit-oriented company committed to providing solutions to our customers, water handling, irrigation, and temporary liquid storage problems that exceed their expectations for service and quality. And that's been a longstanding mission as a company of the founders and the family. So it's really important to you know those of us that carry on that tradition for them and you guys are everywhere i mean you know we're, we're talking about mostly ag irrigation of course on this show and uh your duties today but i remember after 911 when i visited new york city and was uh close to ground zero there i was shocked to see a rain for rent piece of equipment you know, I guess it was a dewaterer, something that's used in construction, but uh, there was rain for rent in downtown Manhattan in the middle of this disaster zone. Like, oh, I know who those people are. <laughs> yeah, you guys are involved in stuff everywhere. But um, uh, thank you for that timeline. That that was very interesting. I had no idea that the, you know, the 30-foot-6 had anything to do with uh, the boiler tubing. So that's, that's yeah. an interesting piece of history. I know you guys are involved, uh, Rain Friends involved in the movie industry, too, in the water uh, uh, number of the uh, 
movies that have come out uh, or television shows that come out where there's uh, like flooding or water, uh, uh, major movements of water within the film. I think you guys are involved in that, if I remember correctly. Is that is that true? We've actually been a part. I I may be low on this number of over a hundred different movies. Oh wow. Yeah, and I personally was involved in a couple of them. Um, uh, one of them was Terminator 4, and the other one was uh, Wild Hogs. I'll be darned. Huh. Yeah, so I, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty, we're in 10 different market segments, and, you know, just because of the different types of solutions and products we deal with, um you know, we've we've adapted and evolved, you know, in those different industries. So, Mike, you know, and you're obviously uh, covering the entire Western United States. Um, take a minute and explain to our audience, from your perspective, what are the challenges, not only in the Western United States, because that's so diverse, but in, uh, in the San Joaquin Valley or more specifically in the Kern County area? Well, we've... Um, We've all just been through a, you know, one of the biggest droughts anyone could experience, and we've had to fight through that. And the water, you know, there's a lot of things that we aren't going to go back to what we, you know, used to do. And so these changes, farmers are um, having to farm their land using the same or less water to grow that crop. And, you know, they're having to spread it around further. Um, I think the, you know, the evolving groundwater regulations and the overdraft protections and, you know, a lot of states have, have already adopted these measures, but it, it hasn't been as enforced in California. And, and, you know, we're, we're facing that today with, you know, having to deal with, or the growers are having to deal with that new, you know, regulation. Um, and then I, you know, with the recent onset of, of, um, the cost of labor, you know, and the way we're, um, having to deal with the new labor rates and the progression and more expensive expense of the hourly cost, you know, that's going to continue to be a, uh, you know, one of the biggest expenses on the farm and, you know, their farmers are going to have to deal with how to how to work through that. Um, you know, and just the regulations come with monitoring and reporting, and you know, and farm you know farmers aren't uh, that's a technical challenge, and farmers aren't typically data managers, and they're having to accommodate this role. So, you know, there's a lot of things on their plate that you know they that are changing and they're being forced to deal with. Yeah, those are those are some really big challenges, especially for people who, yeah, like you say, farmers aren't necessarily, they usually are farmers because they don't want to be in an office doing paperwork. You know, they like to be out and about in the field and growing crops. But, yeah, these are huge challenges, but there are some solutions, are there not? And I bet you probably provide some of them. Could you tell us a little bit about the irrigation water management technologies that, that you're absolutely seeing a trend towards, or that you're providing for these folks. Yeah, um, 
you know, I think one of the one of the things that's been you know it's been watched for years and and implemented, you know, for some of the by some of the more progressive growers. Um, but it's just the automation of irrigation systems, and um, it's it, it comes at a cost, and you know it takes a lot of learning and and managing something that's not directly related to you know growing the crop necessarily, and so it um, it's becoming a bigger factor with trying to control and collect, control your uh, irrigation. Uh, water usage and your uh, the amount of fertilizers and chemicals you put in put on on the farm um, and it's part of it, that evolving data collection process so you know it's that's something that we're learning as a as a company and trying to continue to grow our solutions um, for our customers that are willing to adapt you know, with those, uh, that new technology. Um, you know, I, I, five years ago when I got into this rule role, um, as a, as a VP, you know, one of the biggest things was we have all this information coming at us now and it's really hard to put together, you know, just the decision-making tools and incorporate all that information. And I, I think that's a, a process we haven't figured out yet, but it's a, it's a big learning curve, and I think it's going to continue to get better, and we just have to stay on, on top of that. Um, just from, the, uh, from our perspective as, as designers and, and irrigation system providers, um, we've looked at systems and design systems based on soil type. Um, usually that incorporates smaller block sizes or that that takes, you know, a very crop-specific look at the land. Um, you can't necessarily do it on row crops all the time, but um, but on more permanent crops, it's it's one of the things that we've, we've been able to look at and uh, do a design for um, for one of our more progressive growers. Um, is that that's probably drip irrigation, or is that sprinkler? Or actually, it is it is sprinkler, okay. um, and it's it was you know it had to do with real sandy soils and um, one of those locations where you you had to have real frequent sets, and um, they knew it was going to be a challenge, and you know they wanted a solution that could help them work through that. And then your portable filtration systems have been, you know, a, a, a big support of people adopting drip irrigation. Is that not true? Ab absolutely. And you know, we've we've been, you know, we we have portable screen filters, portable media filters, and we've actually adopted on our diesel-driven pumps um, pressure transducers that allow us to have a pressure setting for when pump goes into back flush mode or a filter goes into back flush mode we can actually ramp up the speed of the pump for proper flushing um, and then lower it back down for normal irrigation so hmm. we, we 
we're able to drop that overall pressure in the in the system, which you know, if you have a low low pressure um, you know drip tape system, you don't have to spend as much fuel putting that water on. Huge energy saver. That's efficient. That's really efficient. Yeah. And we're also seeing, you know, we have a turbine division in San Joaquin and there's, you know, they're funding for VFDs, more efficient uh, uh, electrical systems, which are very important. So, Mike, explain uh, the VFDs to our listeners who may may not be as familiar. VFDs are variable frequency drive, um, and they they change the frequency. In other words, they change the speed of the motor to match the power required of the pumping system. So you're not wasting a bunch. Pressure is energy, and so you're not wasting a bunch of pressure, burning a bunch of pressure that you don't need to burn. And so it drops, it raises the overall uh, efficiency of the pumping plant. And we see it both in booster pumps and we see it in um, deep well turbine pumps. We you offer, change, we actually. You can change the flow rate and still be efficient, unlike a regular pump. That's correct. Not unlike a gas pedal in your car. you. You push it down a little further when you need more power to get to get up a hill, or you let off when you don't need as much energy to uh, be in cruise control or or something along those lines. I guess. Yeah, yeah, and and that that's real cost savings to you know the the grower. And it helps the air quality and all kinds of things too. Absolutely. So. Um, uh, Mike, how does uh, how does in, how do companies like Toro and Rain for Rent uh, how can we help uh, the industry continue to thrive uh, when there's this uh, the demand for resources is more intense and more competitive and is not going to be any less I don't think as the, our population continues to grow and demands for water in in, uh, in river streams and lakes uh, is going to be there for for uh, recreation and, and uh, for the environment, how are companies like ours going to uh, going to be included in the solution? Well, I think I think there's been a lot of pressure for just being the um, on, on price, you know. And I think it's really important, you know, to educate our customers um, that it's it's not all. You know, it's not all just about price. It's about, you know, the total solution. And uh, I think our customers have to have these types of solutions to meet their needs, not only now, but in the future. So I think we, as a team, as uh, um, people like Rain for it and Toro, we have to continue to bring them knowledge and value of these these new talk technologies, and um, I think they have to, they need to keep leaning on companies like ours to work together um, so that we can all be successful. And it means building relationships based on these types of solutions. Um, there's a lot of communication that's involved, um, understanding the total needs of, 
of our customers and, you know, how, how companies like Rainforent ask, you know, for the resources from Toro to help them out. Um, you know, I think that's a, a really important aspect of our, um, of companies like Toro and Rainforent to keep, keep in mind moving forward. Well, it really is a team effort because we we don't do what you do, and you, for the most part, don't do what we do. But together, we can really help you know farmers and urbanites and industry meet the intense challenges that we that we face today. So, yeah, I, I appreciate your recognition that um, uh, partnerships is what it's all about. We can't do it. We can't do it alone. Absolutely not. So, Mike, I think we've just got another couple of minutes. Um, please share with us. What, what accomplishments are you proudest of? You've been in this for a while and have a very responsible position now. Uh, tell us um, what's been the most fun or what what um, yeah, what you're proudest of and, and what else would you like to add before we sign off? Well, I you know, I, I've had a long career at Rain for Rent so far and you know it's been it's been very challenging and very um rewarding it it, it seems like a facing different ones every day you know um but probably just the people in the industry that i work with the people especially the people on on the rainfront team you know working with the lake family and um, you know, I just, it's a, it's a great environment to be in and it's great being in the agricultural industry because there's, you know, I just, the food and water aspect of it is, it has a tremendous purpose. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, proud that I've been able to be a, a part of that. Very thankful. Well, we thank you for being a part of it and and continuing to be. And thank you for your leadership in in the, not only within the, your company, but uh, all the folks in the Western United States and in the industry. Mike, uh, uh, I just want to personally say thank you for that, uh, and uh, personally and professionally, you've done a great job. And I look forward to many additional years to come uh, working with you and. And uh, and the rain for rent folks. Yeah, I uh, thank you very much for inviting me on, uh, Paul and Ingi. Um, You're very welcome. Yeah, I do. Making yourself available on this uh, Thursday evening. <laughs> <laughs> Happy back, to do it. Get back to that wife and uh, four kids and all those goats. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. It's uh, uh, it's been enjoyable. Thank you. Great. Yeah, look forward to the working together in, in December. Yeah.